like the people who greeted Jesus as he entered Jerusalem and then later cried out, Crucify him! We too are fickle people in need of a Savior. In faith and in hope, let us confess our sins. Sovereign God, we confess that we are as fickle as the crowds in Jerusalem. When everything seems to be going well, we join the Hosanna Chorus. But in times of weariness or rebellion, praise can turn to insult. We hide our faith when it is under attack and link ourselves with the scoffers. When there is opportunity to speak a good word for Jesus Christ, we are silent. Our church lifts an uncertain word before the world, for we, its members, have not been faithful. We need your forgiving love today, O God, more than ever. Hear our prayer. these words from Psalm 118. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. In Christ God answers us and sets us free. Friends, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven.
morning is a responsive reading, Psalm 118, is reading number 28 on page 499 in the Red Hymnal. We will read responsively and let us listen for God's word this morning. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. With the Lord on my side I do not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side to help me. I shall look in triumph over those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Hark, glad songs of victory in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me sorely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them. Thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank thee that thou hast answered me and hast become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. In it. Thou art my God, and I will give thanks to thee. Thou art my own. I will extol thee. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
The words of that anthem are also in the 118th Psalm that we just read responsively. And verses that were not included in our responsive reading are the ones that the choir just sang. In the 25th verse in the 118th Psalm, it says, O Lord, do save, we beseech thee. O Lord, we beseech thee, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's stand now for our second reading, those who are able. In the Gospel of John, in the 12th chapter, beginning at the 12th verse. Listen for God's word to speak to your life this morning. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Jesus' disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went to meet him. The Pharisees then said to one another, You see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Never has church been more unsafe for you worshipers than it is on this Sunday. I'm warning you, you better be on your best behavior because the new TV equipment has been installed and we have cameras that can reach you in every portion of the sanctuary. There is no corner that is safe anymore from the world, from our live broadcast on WRBL Channel 3, from the live streaming that goes out over the World Wide Web all over this globe and is even going to Jackson, Tennessee this morning where I've been told there is a live viewer Never has it been more unsafe and uncertain to be in church. Now that doesn't mean don't come back next week. It just means you never know who's watching. A couple of weeks ago, as I was finishing up one of the teaching events on Wednesday night in the fellowship hall, the series that Reverend Doubt and I have been doing called Simple Truth, Simple Faith, I had a member of the church come up to me and she said, you know, I want you to preach that sermon that you preached last year again. And I said, which sermon? She said, the sermon that you preached at the Good Friday service at Trinity last year. 
I was just scrambling to remember what I had said. She said, it was really good. And I think you ought to preach it on Easter. I said, well, I'll go back and take a look at it, but I just, I'm sorry, I can't remember exactly what you're talking about. She said, it was really good, let me tell you, especially the first part. So I went back and looked at the sermon. And I'm going to preach the first part. Not on Easter, but I'm going to revisit it this morning. Is that okay? What I said was, is I came, I've come across a new concept recently, and I want to share it with you. We've all heard of deja vu. You know what that is. Deja vu is the experience of doing something for the first time and feeling like, wait a minute, I've been here. I I've done this before, but you know you haven't. It's experiencing something as, as if it is old, but it's new. Well, the new concept that I've come across that I want to share with you this morning is the concept of not deja vu, but vujade. And what vujade is, it is doing something that you have done before, maybe many times, and experiencing it as if you have never done it. So vujade is a old thing that becomes something new. And my hope and my prayer for us is that on this Palm Sunday, in this Holy Week, in all that it holds for us, and yes, on Easter, that it would be for us Vujade. Something that we have done maybe many times, but yet it becomes something new and fresh like we have never experienced before. I don't know about you, but approaching this Palm Sunday, I was not very excited about riding that donkey one more time. Here we go. Here we go. Riding with Jesus into Jerusalem, the palms, the... I just wasn't real up for it. I've been there, done that. It was repetitive. Have you ever experienced life that way? Here we go again. Didn't we do this last year and the year before and the year before that? How many times are we going to have to do this Palm Sunday thing, this Holy Week thing, this Good Friday thing, the same scriptures, the same prayers, the same hymns, the same bread, the same cup, the same cross, the same nails, the same all over again. And sometimes it's not easy to just keep doing the same thing. But the question is, why do we keep coming back then? If we know what's going to happen, if we've just kind of been there, done that year after year, and nothing seems to change, maybe then, maybe, there is a sliver of hope within us, a dormant seed of new life buried deep within our souls that will spring to life. Maybe this year, Maybe this Palm Sunday, maybe this Holy Week, maybe this Easter. Maybe this will be the year, maybe this time 
I'll have a breakthrough. Maybe this season it will be different. Maybe things will change. Because if you're like me, I need something different. Because sometimes my, my Christian walk feels like I'm a Christian gerbil. And I am just running on that wheel. For all I'm worth, and trying to make the world think that I'm having a great time and I'm not getting anywhere. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, which we all know is the definition of insanity. And sometimes it feels like I'm going insane. day. The same thing, but for the first time. Something different. This Palm Sunday account that we come to in the Gospel of John this morning, it is different. If you look at the Synoptic Gospels and the account of Palm Sunday, Jesus' entry, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It is different in John than it is in Matthew and Mark and Luke. In Matthew and Mark and Luke, Jesus is active. He is giving directions to his disciples. Go to this place, and there you will find a colt, and there you will untie it. And the man will say to you, what are you doing? And you will say to him, the master has need of it. And he will allow you to take the call. Jesus is directing and orchestrating. Jesus in, in the Synoptic Gospels is, is in dialogue with the Pharisees. There, there, is, there is give and take. The Pharisees come to Jesus in the midst of this, this parade, this, this riot This is about to break out, and they say, silence these people. They are causing such a stir in the city. And Jesus says... Don't you know that if these people were silent, that even the rocks themselves would cry out? Not in John. In Luke's gospel, in the account of Jesus entering into the city from the Mount of Olives down through the Kidron Valley up into the city on the donkey, in Luke's gospel... Jesus, when he comes to the brow of the hill and prepares to descend into the city before his ascent into the golden gates, Jesus pauses and he looks at the landscape and the people lining the streets and the mass of humanity and Jesus weeps over what he sees. He cries tears over the city and he says, Oh, that you would know what makes for peace. Oh, how I long to gather you like a mother hen gathers her young chicks. But not in John. Not in John. Jesus is silent in this Sunday's text. He's almost passive. The crowds are present. They cut palms from the trees. They line his path like a conquering king, a triumphant entry. 
They cry out from the psalmist, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, like they cry out in the other Gospels. And the, the reference to the Old Testament, Zechariah 9, verse 9, that says, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king comes to you, riding on the colt, the foal, the donkey, and the Old Testament prophecy is fulfilled. What a picture is painted here, but Jesus says nothing in this picture. But it has been said that a picture is worth a thousand words. And we picture Jesus entering into Jerusalem knowing what awaits him there. In silence, Jesus goes forward, and it's deafening. It's like Jesus knows what awaits him. It's like John knew to just leave it alone and not clutter it with words. What you are doing speaks so loudly I cannot hear what you're saying, we have heard said. Or I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. And Jesus is preaching as he is riding on this Palm Sunday. And prophecy is fulfilled and a long-awaited Messiah has come. And he comes in humility. He comes in peace. He comes in obedience. And it is only after, after he is glorified, this account tells us, do his disciples remember what happened and what was done and what was said. And we are told in this account that the crowds have come, yes, because it is Passover, but also because of what Jesus has done in the raising of Lazarus. Did you hear that referenced a couple of times in these seven verses? That they are there because of the sign that Jesus performed when he raised Lazarus from the dead. So not only are the crowds there for Passover, but the ones who witnessed this miracle are also there to see Jesus again. Because after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, they sought to kill him all the more. They went after Jesus with a vengeance after he raised Lazarus and called him from his tomb after he had been there four days. The scriptures tell us that after Lazarus had been raised, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and they were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But a certain one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation should not perish. And the scriptures say 
that now this Caiaphas did not say on his own initiative, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but that Jesus might also gather together into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. And so from that day on, they planned together to kill Jesus. And so at the end of the 11th chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus goes into hiding. But he comes out at the opportune time, and he is making his way back toward Jerusalem. It is the week before the Passover and the time of preparation for the Passover when Jesus comes to Bethany, the town that is six miles outside of Jerusalem, just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And there Jesus returns to the scene of his great miracle at the house of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And it's at the beginning of the 12th chapter of John's Gospel that Jesus, when he is there at the table again with his dear friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, that Mary has the great idea to anoint Jesus, to show her gratitude for what he had done for raising her brother, I'm sure. But she takes the most precious gift that she has, the poor, pure nard, the expensive perfume, and she anoints Jesus' feet, and Judas has a fit and says, stop her. Do you not know how much that ointment could be sold and we could take that money and give it to the poor? But really we knew, we know that, that as the scriptures tell us, that, that Judas was still looking out for his own benefit because he was the keeper of the kitty and had his hand in it. But with an altruistic statement, he says, stop her. She is wasting a valuable resource, but Jesus says, do not deny her what she is doing. She is preparing for me for my own burial. And Jesus knows what is happening. And here he speaks of it. And the people have come to, because they have heard that Jesus is in Bethany and the crowds return. And the multitudes not only want to see Jesus, but they want to see Lazarus. They want to see the man who is dead and is now alive. What does it look like to die and come to life again? Lazarus is then sought out to be killed like Jesus, the scriptures tell us, right before the passage that we read this morning. That not only are they now out to kill Jesus, but now they are out to kill Lazarus. There's a book, a piece that is written about Lazarus, and the title of it is Lazarus Laughed. Because as the story goes, when Lazarus got word that the authorities were now seeking to kill him, upon hearing that news, he laughed. Kill me. Go ahead. Been there, done that. I'm not afraid. It's in this context that John has Jesus enter into the city. And three times in the text, in the New Revised Standard Version that we read from this morning, it says three times, a great crowd, verse 12, a great crowd, verse 17, a great crowd, verse 18, was present and following after Jesus. In the New American Standard Version, it is a multitude a great multitude, a great multitude of people are following after Jesus, this miracle worker. 
this Messiah who has come in the name of the Lord. And then the text for the morning ends this way. The Pharisees look at each other and says, we can't do anything. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Everybody is following Jesus. It is so incredibly hard to follow, to keep following when we've been there and done that and it's the same old, same old Christian walk day after day, week after week, season after season, the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. That's how it is with me sometimes in my Christian walk, in my following Jesus. And it seems like nothing ever changes. It's hard to follow. John Ortberg, Presbyterian pastor in Menlo Park, California, tells a story it's a story about how he and his wife, Nancy, signed up for dance lessons. They'd been married for 25 years and they had never had a single dance lesson and so John figured it was time. You also need to know that John Ortberg grew up in a Baptist and Mennonite home and neither one allowed dancing and so it was completely off limits. It's understandable why they hadn't had dance lessons but after 25 years he thought, what the heck? And so Nancy and John are at their first lesson and their instructor looks at them and says, before we start dancing, I need you to answer two questions. And the instructor looked at the couple and he said, who leads? And John said, I just let that question hang there because I wanted Nancy to answer. And finally, after an uncomfortable silence, Nancy through gritted teeth said, he leads. And then the instructor asked the second question. And who follows? And again, after a silence, Nancy finally said, I follow. And John Ortberg said, it is so difficult to follow primarily for two reasons. It's difficult to follow because following means that we give up control. And somebody else is in charge. And we follow their lead. And I don't like to give up control. And I like to be in charge of other people's lives, of my surroundings, and if I can't be in charge of those things, at least I can try to be in charge of myself. But even that does not work too well sometimes. The second thing that John Orberg said about being a follower, he said that it means that I have to admit that I am completely incompetent to be a good leader. Ditto. As much as I want to lead, I mess it up. It's hard to follow. Clarence Jordan is a writer of 
the New Testament in Southernese. It's called the Cotton Patch Gospels. They're doing that show right south of us in the next block at the Foley Theater. And Wednesday night, we're trying to get a group together to go at 7.30 with group rates. It's about 10 or $12 off the regular price of admission. And Clarence Jordan wrote the Cotton Patch Gospel set in Georgia. What if Jesus had been born in Gainesville and delivered the Sermon on the Mount from Stone Mountain and was taken to Atlanta to be crucified? What would that look like? And the story is told in delightful music and acting. But it was also Clarence Jordan who, who founded Koinonia Farms in America's Georgia in the 1950s. And he founded it as an interracial community that he thought was an authentic expression of the kingdom of God. It was an experiment both in agriculture and gospel in which whites and blacks worked side by side, tilling the fields, harvesting the crops, sharing life together. And you can imagine that in the 1950s, an experiment of blacks and whites working side by side on equal footing did not go over very well. Not everyone in southwest Georgia shared Clarence Jordan's vision of the kingdom of God, and so the Cornelia Farms attracted trouble. And the farm was shot at by passing cars. Signs and buildings were vandalized. Crosses were burned. And the Koinonia community members were beaten when they tried to go out into the town and in public. And the merchants refused to sell supplies to the farm. And eventually legal troubles mounted for the struggling experiment in Christian love. And Clarence Jordan approached his brother Robert, a local attorney, for help with their legal problems. And Robert was an up-and-coming young attorney with political ambitions of his own. And he would later, Robert would later serve as a Georgia State Senator and as a Justice of the, of the Georgia State Supreme Court. And in a book entitled Dissonant Discipleship, the author captures this scene between the two brothers, Bob and Clarence. Robert had declined to represent Cornelia Farms with this explanation, Clarence, I can't do that. You know my political aspirations. Why, if I represented you, I might lose my job, my house, everything I've got. And Clarence came back, we might lose everything too, Bob. It's different for you. Why is it different? His brother said, I remember, it seems to me, that you and I joined the church on the same Sunday as boys. And I expect that when we came forward, the preacher asked me the same question as he asked you. And what he asked me was, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? And I said, yes. What did you say? His brother responded, I follow Jesus, Clarence. But up to a point. Could that point by any chance be the cross? That's right. I follow him to the cross, but not on the cross. I'm not getting myself crucified. Then I don't believe you're a disciple. You're an admirer of Jesus, but not a disciple of his. I think you ought to go back to that church that you belong to and tell them, tell them that you are an admirer and not a disciple, not a follower. Well, now, if everyone who felt like I do did that, we wouldn't have a church, would we? The question is, Clarence said, do you have a church? I don't know about you, 
But I find myself a whole lot more like Bob than I find myself like Clarence. And it's the same thing over and over and over again. And I'm not good enough. I'm not faithful enough. I'm not disciple enough. But that's not what it's about. See, it's, it's not about my faithfulness. It's not about your faithfulness. It's not a, about how well you follow or how good you are. The thing here that is different and new is it's about his faithfulness. about His forgiveness, about His love and its power, and His grace that is sufficient. It's my prayer that today and this week before us would become Vuja Day. Something we've done so many times, but suddenly, by God's grace, it is new, like we have never experienced it before. And that means, Lord, have your way with me this week. And that means that we might have to get out of our comfort zones and say, Lord, I want it to be different. I don't want to go insane. I want to, to show my gratitude to you for what you've done for me. So have your way with me. And for us, that may mean that we do something different at school or at work or in our families. Show our gratitude. Maybe it means that we'll say, oh, I, I think I would like to go to the Cotton Patch Gospels. I, I believe I will change my schedule so that I, along with my family, can come to the Monday Thursday service. And yes, I will sign up for the prayer vigil because there are opportunities yet available for you to pray just one hour. Or maybe I will go to the, to the Good Friday service at Trinity on Friday afternoon. Or maybe I'll go down to 4th Street for the seven last word service on Friday evening. Or maybe I'll get up early on Sunday morning and go to the, the, the old theater on Sidney Simons where the, the Korean Presbyterian Church is having a sunrise service for the whole community. And I'll go and support my brothers and sisters and worship that glad and glorious day in a new way. But then I'll come to First Presbyterian for worship here. Or maybe... Maybe I'll invite somebody. I'll do something different and I'll invite somebody to come to church with me on Easter Sunday. Because did you know that out of all the Sundays of the year, more people want to come to church on Easter than any other Sunday. And maybe God has placed or will place on your heart the name of a person or a family that God would say, bring them. Because there are people who have heard maybe a little bit 
but want to see for themselves whether this thing that we talk about is true. That there is a God who loves so completely that He would give His Son to die, but that death would not hold Him. That the power of God's love and grace would raise Him up from the dead so that we don't have anything to fear because there's nothing that can separate us from God's love in life or in death. And I want to see if it's true. I pray that this week ahead will be a vuja day. And so that we might meet our Savior again for the first time. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In response to the word proclaimed, let us stand and use an ancient creed of the church and say with the ages what it is that we believe. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. You may be seated. As we prepare to enter into this time of prayer, let me share pastoral news with the congregation in our community. We learned early this morning of the death of Betty Connett last night, and our prayers go out to John and to that entire family. And as we receive details about a service to celebrate her life and give witness to the resurrection, in Jesus Christ, we will be communicating with you through email and other means. Let us remember the Connett family and celebrate Betty's beautiful life in Jesus. Let us pray. Gracious and courageous God, we pray for gratitude and courage, remembering that our confessions teach that life is a gift to be received with gratitude and to be pursued with courage. And it is all by your grace. We pray for gratitude to see grace moments large and small in our lives, a call or email from a special person a beautiful sun in the sky, simple acts of kindness between people. By the power of the Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we may see. We pray for grace for those fighting disease, that they may see victories along the way. For those battling addiction, that they may live clean and free one day at a time. For those addressing character flaws, that they bit by bit show Jesus Christ in their lives. For those who are grieving a loved one, today, whether the loss was today or a year ago, 
May they be comforted with a comfort that surpasses all words. We pray for courage to serve as we teach, and we pray for those who teach in Sunday school and through the week, or through Stephen ministry, or through simple words of encouragement. We pray for courage to serve as we reach out of our comfort zones, be it handing out a sack lunch or break bread meal, or to speak to someone we need to address. We pray for courage to learn, even if that means asking hard questions of ourselves. God, our Father, grant us grace, gratitude, and courage. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, there are many things going on this week, but first I invite you to participate in the ritual of friendship. The paths are in your pews if you'd mark your name and address if you're first-time guest and back to its point of origin. Following the worship service, be sure and extend that right hand of fellowship to one another. A big joyful announcement is that Family Fun Day in the country is on at the Flournoy's home. We're invited. Show up. Easter egg hunt will also take place there. It'll be a great adventure. So wear some jeans or very comfortable pants. I'm wearing my duck boots, and um, it's going to be a great time. This week we do have our Monday Thursday service. Thursday service, and we'll have a fellowship meal preceding that service, so you can go ahead, come on down, have a meal, and then come in here to worship. So we will not have the Wednesday church family supper. We will not have that, but we will have it on Thursday. Easter Sunday, we will, of course, have the 11 o'clock worship service here, Ignite at 9, taking place in the fellowship hall, and at 8.30 will be the first service. That's at 8.30 in the sanctuary, not the chapel. At 8.30 in the sanctuary. That's the early service. At 8.30 in the sanctuary. Let us now continue our worship of God as we present to God our tithes, our offerings, our gifts, and our very selves.
Let us pray. All gracious, all giving God, we praise you and we thank you today. We present to you a portion of all that you give to us. Bless these tithes, these offerings, and these gifts as they go out into the world. And may we renew our minds, our hearts, our wills today to follow you with determination, courage, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Ride on, ride on, King Jesus, to the cross and to the empty tomb and give us the grace and the courage to follow. Dear followers of Christ, as you go, may the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you that you may share those good gifts with all you meet to the glory of the risen one. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, go in that joy, that comfort, that peace. Amen. Amen.